We need to listen to God's word on God's terms, even if that means that Jesus challenges us to examine the nature of our own hearts and the nature of our faith. In terms of an outline, then, this passage has just two parts. It has two parts, a warning and a call. A warning and a call. The warning comes in verses 43 to 48, while the call follows in verses 49 to 54. A warning and a call. So let's consider each of those in more detail, all with the aim of trusting Jesus, not simply because of what he can do for us, but because of who he is. We begin in verses 43 to 48, where Jesus warns us against the danger of superficial faith. That's the warning, the danger of superficial faith. Following that incredible harvest of souls in Samaria, Jesus decides to continue on his journey to Galilee. Verse 43 tells us that Jesus moved on after two days. You'll remember that Jesus is from Galilee, at least that's where he grew up. So he's headed back to to, to home territory, so to speak. He's going back to that home field of his ministry. And that's precisely what makes verse 44 so surprising. This is the first of those small but important notes in how John tells the story. Notice the reason for Jesus' trip to Galilee, verse 44. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So why is Jesus going home? Because Jesus himself knows that a prophet has no honor in his home. Town. That's why he goes. Now that's a strange reason to go home, isn't it? You may have heard the saying that familiarity breeds contempt. That's a good paraphrase for what Jesus means in verse 44. The people in Galilee know him, or at least they think they do. They watched him grow up. They know his parents and his siblings. They went to synagogue with him. And verse 44 is saying that This familiarity prevents Jesus from receiving honor in his hometown. They know him too well, or so they think, to see him for who he is. And yet that's precisely why Jesus goes. Again, that's a strange reason to go home. It's almost as though Jesus wants to expose the fact that they don't show him any honor. It's almost as though he wants to bring this out into the open to confront it. That's the first surprise in how John tells the story. But quickly, quickly, John introduces another surprising note in verse 45. Look what happens when Jesus arrives. Verse 45. So, when Jesus came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to Jerusalem. The feast. Now, I want you to see the connection between verse 45 and verse 44 because this is, the, this is the crux of our interpretation of this passage. This is the significant interpretive point. These two verses go together, verses 45 and 44. They go together. Think of it like a house built on its foundation. Verse 45 is built on verse 44. A prophet is without honor in his hometown, verse 44. And therefore, the Galileans welcomed him. Verse 45. So by this point, we're all scratching our heads, right? 
How does this make sense? I thought a prophet had no honor in his hometown. But verse 45 says the Galileans welcomed him. That sure looks like honor to me, preacher. So what's going on? What is Jesus after? What is he aiming to do here? Well, there's a detail in verse 45 that helps us. Did you catch why the Galileans welcomed Jesus? Look, it's because they saw all that he had done in Jerusalem. To put it really simply, they don't welcome him because of what they heard, but because of what they saw. Chapter 2, verse 23, tells us that Jesus did many signs in Jerusalem at the feast, and these Galileans, who also attended the feast, saw those signs, and that's why they welcome Jesus, because they want to see more signs. Do more things, Jesus. Do the signs in Galilee that you did in Jerusalem. And in that sense, we could say that the Galileans have the right response, but the wrong motive. When Jesus shows up, you ought to welcome him. That's absolutely the right thing to do. But you should welcome him for who he is, not simply for what he can do for you. In fact, the entire point of Jesus' signs is so that you will see him. His miracles reveal his identity. And if you don't see the identity, then you've, you've missed the signs. At this point, if we were writing the story, we would expect Jesus to move on, correct? Ah, these people, they're not interested in me. I'm out of here. If there isn't a genuine welcome, then Jesus surely has other places to go. But again, Jesus surprises us. He stays. Verse 46. So, John writes, Jesus came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water into wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. Jesus wants to expose what's going on in Galilee, and in the process he meets an official whose son is severely ill. Who is this official? We don't know exactly. Some commentators think the official is a Gentile, and, and that may be the case, but John doesn't say definitively one way or the other. We don't know if he's a Gentile. This official is almost surely not the centurion from Matthew 7, I'm sorry, Matthew 8 or Luke 7. Those two healings are, are actually more different than they are similar. So who exactly is this official? We don't really know. What gets your attention though, what distinguishes this man is his need. His son is gravely ill near the point of death. And because of this need, the official travels from Capernaum to get help. Notice verse 47. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. It's clear what the official wants, isn't it? He wants healing for his son. That's why he's come to Jesus. At this point, he has not come to learn more about Jesus. He hasn't come like Nicodemus with questions about the kingdom of God he hasn't even been drawn out like the Samaritan woman was. Jesus hasn't revealed any you know, special insight to him. Just at the bottom line, base, need, what does this official want? He wants healing. That's why he's come. So, key question. Here it is. Does the official trust Jesus? Does he trust him? 
He certainly believes Jesus' reputation, that he can do miraculous signs, but does he trust him? Well, notice where Jesus takes the conversation next. We've said this whole sermon that Jesus often confronts us, and that's certainly what he's going to do in verse 48. Listen again, verse 48. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, Jesus is speaking to the official clearly, but the you in verse 48 is plural, right? It's plural. He's addressing both the official and all of the Galileans who have welcomed him. In other words, Jesus' response in verse 48 is a challenge, simple and straightforward. There's no nuance in verse 48. Unless you see me do stuff, you're not going to believe. That's what Jesus says. Unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. So they welcome him, but they don't welcome him. They receive him, but they don't truly receive him. There's something missing in their response. Now we can put all of the pieces together. Now we can put all the pieces... This is why we've gone so slowly through the exposition here. Now we can put all the pieces together. This is why Jesus has come to his home country that shows him no honor. He wants to expose the danger of superficial faith. He wants to get us to see the danger of welcoming Jesus but not welcoming him. People want to see signs, but according to Jesus, that's not the same as trusting him. That's not the same as believing in his name. It's a welcome that's not really a welcome. It's a reception that doesn't truly receive. It just looks that way. Now we're going to pause the exposition there for a second. We're going to come back to the official in a moment because Jesus is not finished with him mercifully. But we, we need to pause here for a minute and consider some takeaways. John Stott, in his excellent book on preaching, says that every sermon needs to build a bridge from the world of the Bible to the world of today. So we're, gonna, we're just going to camp out here for a second and try to build a bridge from this moment in Galilee to Fisherville, Kentucky. What are some takeaways for us? What does superficial faith look like in our day? That's what I want us to think about for a minute. What does superficial faith look like in our day? We can't go find Jesus right now and ask him to do signs. So we're not in the same position as the people in Galilee, right? But the danger in some form remains. It's the danger of seeming to respond to Jesus, but without truly trusting him. So what are some forms of superficial faith? In our day, what might it look like for faith to perhaps be present but not be the genuine article? Well, first and perhaps most common would be familiarity. Familiarity is often masquerading for faith. You may be familiar with Jesus, but you don't trust him. You may, you may know the story of his life. You may believe that he did miracles. You may even be able to recite some of his teaching. But in all of that familiarity, you've never actually submitted to him in faith. You've never trusted that he obeyed God where you wouldn't. That he died in your place. That he rose again for your salvation. You're familiar with him. You, you, you know the story, but you've never bowed the knee before him in submission. Friends, that kind of familiarity is not the same as genuine faith. It doesn't save. 
It's superficial. It looks like faith, but it lacks trust. Another kind of superficial faith is religious ritual. There are many people in this world who have participated in some religious ritual, but they don't actually trust Jesus. For example, you may have received baptism as a child, perhaps in the church, perhaps at the insistence of your parents or some clergy member. Or, like the tradition that I grew up in, you may have even joined the church at a young age as a kid. But your relationship with the Lord never progressed beyond just being a name on a piece of paper. In both of those instances, you participated in a religious action, but you didn't entrust your life to Jesus. You just did those outwardly religious things. Again, it might look like faith, but it lacks trust. One more. Cultural heritage can often function as superficial faith. This one, this one, is one that we ought to pay attention to. My family has always been Christians. My parents are Christians. I was raised a Christian, so I'm a Christian too. I don't ever want to malign the power and importance of heritage. I praise God that my parents and my grandparents trust Jesus and taught me the Bible. But that alone could never make me a Christian. I am so thankful that I grew up in a culture that was largely marked by Christian values. But that culture can't change my heart. All of that cultural or family heritage is no substitute for saving faith. It looks like faith, but it doesn't trust. Your upbringing can't save you, in other words. Familiarity, ritual, cultural heritage. Friends, I'm stressing these things because it's vitally important that we come to Jesus on his terms, not our own. Eternity hangs there in the balance, that we come to Jesus on his terms, responding to him on the basis of his word. I'm not trying to be controversial or prickly, but I am hoping to get your attention. We can't escape the thrust of the passage. The point of the passage is the point of the message. And we can't escape the thrust of this passage. Some Galileans appeared to welcome Jesus, but they didn't trust him. They wanted to see signs, but they didn't believe him. Are you like the Galileans? Do you appear to welcome him? Have you mistaken familiarity or religion or heritage for genuine faith? Listen, genuine faith presses deeper than the surface. Genuine faith confesses that Jesus, the Son of God, died in my place. That his blood paid for my sins. Not sins theoretically, my sins. And that he rose again to secure my salvation. That his resurrection is not only a historical fact, but it's the personal crossroads of my own existence. That I live because Jesus lives. Is that true of you? Is that true of you today? Are you submitting to Christ right now, seeking to follow him through faith in his word? Friends, that kind of genuine faith is the only faith that saves. The only faith. It goes deeper than the surface. It's more than familiarity. It's more than the trappings of religion. 
And it's a testimony that far surpasses anything your parents can give to you or your culture can hand down to you. Is that true of you? The biblical Jesus, the biblical Jesus confronts us and his word challenges us. Don't settle for the superficial. Trust Christ with your life for there's no other way to respond to him. No other way. That's the warning. Let's consider the call now. Let's go back to the official whose son is ill. If we left the passage here, then we would miss the glory of what Jesus is doing in Galilee. We've talked a little about genuine faith already, and that's where we go in verses 49 to 54. Here, Jesus calls us to the foundation of genuine faith. The foundation of genuine faith. Despite Jesus' challenge in verse 48, the official is persistent. He asks again for Jesus to come with him. Verse 49. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. This is the second request from the official, and both times he wants Jesus to come with him. Come, come with me to Capernaum. That, that's key, as we're going to see. The time is urgent, so Jesus needs to come right now, or else the boy is not going to live. But surprisingly, Jesus doesn't go. He doesn't go. He's going to heal the boy, but he's going to heal the boy on his terms, not the officials. Jesus doesn't go. Notice verse 50. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. We know the end of the story, so we might read past this point too quickly. I spent a whole afternoon reading past this point too quickly. (laughs) But think about the situation from the official's perspective. Try to put yourself in the official's shoes. His son is about to die, and all Jesus says is, go home, he's going to live. That's all he says. Go home, he's going to live. There's no confirmation. There's no evidence. There's no way to check and see if the boy is healed. The official came looking for a sign, but what did he get? He got a word. He didn't get a sign. He got a word. To say it differently, the official came hoping that he would see Jesus heal his son, but now he has to trust that Jesus will heal his son. Do you see the difference? All the official has is the word of Jesus. That's all he's got. And on the foundation of Jesus' word, the official believes. Listen again, the end of verse 50 The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Friends, that's a picture of genuine faith. With only Jesus' word to stand on, the official believes. With only the word of Christ, the official goes. He goes home. Understand that going home here is the evidence of genuine faith. The official has to put faith into action. Taking Jesus at his word, the official walks away. He walks away. But he walks away by faith, not by sight. All he has is the word of Jesus. And in a display of grace and power, Jesus' word proves true. Notice what happens, verse 51. 
As the official was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. There is so much to unpack in those lines. There's so much encouragement. Some of it is just small. Notice that the official is now called the father for the first time. Do you see that? He goes from being the official to being the father. For me, that's a little humanizing element to the story. The man is not just a ruling official. He's a dad. He's a father. And Jesus has been aware of that the entire time. God's word never ignores the situation of life in which we find ourselves. Christ, through God's word, meets us in the realities of life. The official is a father and Jesus has healed his son. There's so much to unpack. The most encouraging point for me is how faith is confirmed and strengthened. Man, I'll just be upfront with you. This has been so helpful for me this week. Just this week as I've tried to walk by faith. So I hope it's helpful to you. Notice that the father trusted Jesus' word first. And then he received the confirmation of what Jesus did. Got to get the order right. The father had to walk by faith first, and the sight came later. That's the order of things in the Christian life. By definition, the first steps in following Jesus are always taken by faith. He may give you confirmation of what he's doing, but that confirmation, that sight only comes later. After you've trusted him. So faith in Christ is not a blind leap, but it is trusting before seeing. It is believing in Christ even when there's no sight of what he's doing. You've got to walk by faith first. You see later. Let's press on this for a minute. You may be facing any number of circumstances this morning that are troubling to your soul. And let's just get it out of the way that there's somehow, like it makes you a stronger Christian if you don't face circumstances that are trying to your soul. That's not true. You may be facing circumstances that are trying to your soul. I am. You may be too. Maybe you have wayward children or grandchildren who don't know the Lord. Maybe you're facing the loss of your job or a career transition. Maybe you're dealing with health issues that scare you. There are any number of circumstances facing us today, and many of them are frightening, concerning, or simply don't make sense. And the don't make sense ones are the hardest ones, aren't they? Those moments are the battlefield of faith. Those moments are the battlefield of faith. But in those moments, it's easy to get things out of order. It's easy to get things out of order and to start thinking, if only God would show me what he's doing, then I would trust him. Then I could, then I could trust him. If only he would give me some evidence. If only he would give me a sign. Then I could walk by faith. That's not how the Christian life works, friends. You walk by faith first, the sight comes later. Think about the father in this story. Think about the official, the father. He has no confirmation, no evidence, and yet he believes. He takes Jesus at his word, 
And it's only through walking by faith that the father finds comfort. He has to trust Jesus before he hears the good news that his son's going to live. It's only through trusting Jesus' word that the father receives that comfort. To say it differently, it's only through faith in Christ that the official sees. He's got to trust first. And so it remains today. When you cannot see the way ahead, what do you do? You take Jesus at his word. And you walk by faith. When it seems like your whole world is adrift, and there's no sense in your mind as to what the Lord is doing, and every day you're crying out for a reason, and there is none, zero, what do you do? You take Jesus at his word that all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. And you say, I believe God, help my unbelief. You believe. That's really the most important application today. What is the foundation for all genuine and lasting faith? It is only Jesus' word. It is only the word of God. That is the only solid foundation. Armed only with Jesus' word, the Father believes and he goes He walks away. There's no place more solid for your feet than Jesus' word. There is no place stronger for your faith than the promises of Scripture. If your faith is weak today, then first of all, you've come to the right place. Welcome. Because we are all pilgrims on some level, seeking strength to keep walking. So if your faith is weak, welcome. But if your faith is weak, don't look inside yourself and try to drum up more faith. Don't look inside and think, well, if I just believe harder, then I'll make it. You won't. Don't look inside. Do what the Father in this story does. Look to Jesus, look to his word, and believe that Jesus' word is enough. Even when you can't see where things go from here, bank everything on Jesus' word. Listen, I wish that I could tell you that the Christian life always makes sense to our understanding. I wish that I could tell you that you will always be able to trace God's hand in the moment and know exactly what he's doing right now. I wish I could tell you that. But that's not what the Bible teaches, friends. The Bible teaches something better. The Bible teaches the walk of faith, the way of life that banks everything that you've got on Jesus' word. That way is better because Jesus gets the glory. Through faith, he is shown to be faithful. But that way is also better because it leads us to understand that Jesus was working all along. God was working all along. Again, think about the story. When did Jesus heal the father's son? From the moment that he said the word. Before the father saw the confirmation, Jesus was already at work. Jesus met the father's need before the father even knew that Jesus was working. The same holds true today. Through faith, we come to know that Christ was leading us all the way even when we couldn't see. And he was leading us by his word. Genuine faith banks everything on Jesus' word. And if this wasn't enough, notice how the passage ends. 
Not only does the father believe, but so does his entire household. The end of verse 53. And he himself believed, and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Passage comes full circle. Jesus does a sign, but what is everybody focused on? Not on the sign, but on Jesus. The father believes, as does his household. The father was right to bank everything on Jesus' word. The father was right to entrust himself, his son, and his future to Jesus. That was the pathway to life, walking by faith in Jesus' word. From this, I just want to remind you that walking by faith is wisdom in practice. Walking by faith is wisdom in practice. It is wise to build your life on the rock-solid foundation of Jesus' word. Why am I reminding you of this? Because people will sometimes disparage Christians as, you know, those folks who have been duped into living for something they've never seen. Why would you believe in a God you can't see? Why would you devote your life to something that has no confirmation? You've probably heard those things. You may have even had them said to you. But friends, I want you to mark it down. Jesus' word always proves true. So it is wisdom, it is life, it is right to bank everything on the word of Christ. It's foolish to live only for what you can see. It's foolish. It is wise to walk by faith banking everything you've got on the word of God. That's the challenge that Jesus holds out to us in this passage Yes, Jesus confronts us of the danger of superficial faith, but more than that, he calls us to this foundation for genuine faith, a foundation that has never and will never change. That foundation is his word. So, go to his word, brothers and sisters. Go to his word. Each day, feed on God's word, trusting that through his word, Christ will give you what you need to keep walking in faithfulness to him. Go to his word. I cannot emphasize this enough. Don't wait around hoping that your faith will get stronger on its own. It doesn't. Go to God's word and feed, feast, read. Don't dwell on the things that you don't understand about what God is doing. Take Jesus' challenge and bank your life on his word. Read it, believe it, obey it. And proclaim it to others. Friends, that's, that's the whole Christian life in a nutshell. Go to God's word, read it, believe it, obey it, spread it. That's it. Do that every day until the Lord Jesus returns. And after that, glory. <laughs> that's the Christian life. We walk by faith, not by sight. And praise God, praise God that passages like this one remind us that God's word is enough for that walk. Amen? Amen? Thank you, God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are prone to wander, as our brother prayed earlier in this service. We are prone to wander, and we are prone, Father, to look inward. We're prone to dwell on the things we don't understand. We are prone to see, Father, only what's right in front of us and to assume that you have forgotten us or that your word has left us. 
Please help us, God, to repent of those things and to embrace the way of wisdom and life, which is banking everything on your word. Father, I pray, I pray today that you would strengthen and establish our faith so that we might walk worthy of you, indeed walk by faith and not by sight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.